Welcome to MicroCollege. <laughs> this week on the podcast, we are really excited to welcome back a friend and a, a former team member here at Thoreau College. Um, this is Dr. Evan Edwards, PhD, which is really fun to be able to say that, Evan. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> um, Evan was a our very first resident, and uh, it's fun to be able to talk about this this uh, little known part of Thoreau College, our residency program. Uh, we now are going on to our fourth resident, but Evan was our first. Um, basically, a resident is a uh, is a person, generally someone working on a big project, a PhD dissertation. In Evan's case, um, we've had people work on creative writing projects and. Uh, and artists, different things like that. Um, people who, who come, they're working on their on their creative project. They're part of our faculty, part of our community. And in Evan's case, he was also our chef, mm-hmm. our food coordinator. Um, Evan, uh, Dr. Evan Edwards is a, a philosopher of food and hospitality. Um, he has his doctorate from DePaul University. Um, recently finished his doctoral defense that he was working on here uh, on the subject of autotrophy of the other on food and hospitality. Uh, he's also uh, developing ideas for a microcollege of his own uh, over in Grand Rapids, Michigan, and will be starting this fall as an associate professor at Grand Valley uh, State University in Grand Rapids. Welcome, Evan. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here. <laughs> um, so uh, if you've listened to the podcast at all, um, we, we start with the same question always, uh, and that question is, where were you when you were 18 to 21 years old? What were you doing, and what what was shaping you and your life during that period? Yeah, um, so I uh, grew up in a restaurant family. Um, my my family had a restaurant, a uh, pizza place uh, in Raleigh, Durham, sort of Piedmont area um, of North Carolina, and so I grew up. Uh, working around the restaurant, um, working with with my dad in particular, um, and as I went on, you know, through through my teens, kind of the 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 main thing that I I, I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do, but the one thing that I was absolutely certain that I didn't want to do was work in restaurants, um, <laughs> and so I I uh, I, I picked what I thought would be the furthest thing from working in restaurants, which was uh, going to university and studying um, in some sense, like the, the most abstract, abstracted from everyday life thing that I could possibly think of, which was philosophy. Um, I went to a, a relatively small liberal arts college in North Carolina, uh, up in the mountains, uh, UNC Asheville. It is the only public liberal arts school in North Carolina. Mm-hmm. And um, I actually initially went in for creative writing. Um, I wanted to write poetry and then realized I was no good at that. <laughs> um, and uh, started taking courses with um, a professor there, uh, Dr. Dwayne Davis. Uh, he focused on 19th century German, 20th century French philosophy phenomenology, existentialism. So it was really right up my alley. Um, he was also a, a teacher in the humanities program that we had there. So we had a four-year program where as we were taking classes in various subjects um, from across the liberal arts spectrum, we were also doing this uh, you know, one course a year where we were tracing kind of liberal arts throughout the ages. Um, and so uh, I took philosophy courses there, um, 
particularly courses that uh, Dr. Davis was running. So any anytime he had a, a seminar class, I jumped in on that um, and use that as a jumping off point for um, yeah, thinking about the various ways that people have uh, approached thought and the, the history of uh, European culture in particular, um, European-American culture. Um, and as I went through, I found that I, I did very well in philosophy courses. Um, I was, you know, in this program that was, uh, or program in, in college that was really focused on on taking any subject that you were in and finding all of the the connections, the historical context that gave rise to uh, whatever thought was happening in that time to sort of make it more concrete, bring it down to earth. Um, and so I. Uh, over time, right, as I was taking these philosophy courses, mostly because I was, I was interested in, in the professors in the department, um, it was a very uh, wide, uh, diverse um, department, uh, found that, yeah, philosophy was were really where I wanted to be because, again, it was, like, so far away from the, the, the world that I'd grown up in. Um, and so that, that kind of set me on a trajectory just to uh, go into grad school um, I guess that starts getting out of that 21-year-old <laughs> period. But um, in, in college, really, um, yeah, mostly focused on uh, uh, thought philosophy was the way to go. And, and again, that sent me down towards grad school further on the line. Philosophy and avoidance of restaurants, mm -hmm. right? Yes, exactly. <laughs> so that naturally brings us to the next twi twist of this, <laughs> which leads you to be, be, a, be a, a highly skilled and practiced chef. So how, how did that twist happen? Yeah. Um, so, you know, through, through schooling, um, I was working in restaurants uh, in varying capacities uh, for, you know, that, that period of time all the way up through you know, kind of the end of grad school. Um, worked at a very, uh, you know, mostly just kind of side gigs, working at a pizza place uh, as an undergrad, um, working in some coffee shops, a small anarchist restaurant bookstore in Asheville. Um, I had one full year uh, working in a professional chef-run kitchen in Indianapolis in the year between undergrad and grad school. Um, and, you know, basically as soon as you're in the restaurant world, you can be in it for life, right? Mm -hmm. um, and, and the question is, uh, you know, uh, do you get out or not, right? Um, Just like prison or something, right? It, it sometimes <laughs> feels like it. there's this book, uh, The Anarchist Cookbook, uh, and at the very <laughs> beginning it's like, you know, signed like the people that got out of the the restaurant industry or something <laughs> who escaped it, right? Um, it sometimes feels like that, but and so I just kept coming back to it, you know, mostly for money, but also just because it was a skill set that I had that I'd been developing. Um, I went vegan when I was 19 years old, and that was a time when, of course, there are vegan, vegetarian um, things available in the world. Uh, especially in a place like Asheville, but uh, it's not not a thing that you can get everywhere you go, and so um, and it's kind of was was kind of expensive, a little mm -hmm. bit inaccessible at the time. So that pushed me to also you know start thinking about how to cook my own food a little bit more. Mm -hmm. um, and so I went through grad school. Um, I got my master's in 2014 uh, and started teaching, and around. 2018, yeah, uh, late 2017, early 2018, 
I started working on my first iteration of my doctoral dissertation. It was on Thoreau and Emerson and Whitman. And um, this is, yeah, where we met at the right. Thoreau Society um, around this time and uh, had a, uh, a son um, around this time as well. And um, my, my partner at the time and I decided, you know, I was burned out teaching didn't seem like it was really the thing for me. Couldn't get my dissertation done. Living in the city had kind of put a, a severe strain on our relationship and we're thinking about, you know, um, what, what the next steps were. And so we, I, I needed to get away. So I dropped out of, well, essentially dropped out of grad school, um, moved to Michigan and um, yeah, stepped away from a lot of different things in my life at that point. And the thing that was there to catch me was restaurant work. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, I, I had basically gone as far as I could on that track of um, academia, right? I'd pretty mm-hmm. much gotten to, to the end of the line. And um, all I had left to do was write my dissertation. And, you know, I had a moment where I thought, maybe this isn't for me after all. You know, I've been doing this for... Um, had been doing it for almost 15 years mm-hmm. in, just in higher education at that point. Um, and it wasn't, wasn't very fulfilling for me. The dissertation that I was writing was something I was very interested in, but it was um, felt very abstract. I didn't see what the point of it was. It felt like just kind of putting a puzzle together out of other people's words rather than something that I could get my hands on. Um, and as I went back into restaurant work, in 2018 to, um, you know, mostly just make a living. Um, I was in, I was equipped with all of this, these tools, right. Uh, for thinking for the last, uh, that I'd get gathered for the rest, last 15 years or so. And, um, started to get more serious about food and thinking about food and bringing these tools to reflect on what I was doing in the kitchen, how a kitchen operated, the the politics and ethics of it and um so started you know kind of documenting that process uh with this the you know uh inst- primarily through instagram um and and some blogging um and got a really great job at a place called grove in grand rapids um it's just one of these Consistently award-winning restaurants that is um, very humble about it. Um, uh, the the sh- chefs there are extraordinarily talented and um, very yeah focused on the work. And so I got kind of a, a crash course in. Basically, I went in thinking that I w- I've been in restaurants forever. I know how to cook, and and was shown that that was very very quickly that that I had a lot to learn. Um, mm-hmm. So started from, kind of from the ground up there and learned. Um, yeah, felt like I had a, a crash course in culinary education at that point. Um, and that hit a reset on what I thought about food and restaurants. Um, and from there have been, um, yeah, trying to figure out how to bring those two threads of my life together. Um, around that time, 2019 or so, I started doing a summer dinner series where I was working with local farms, bringing the farmers out to the dinner, buying all the produce from this one place, wherever it was that we were talking about. Um, and uh, that's uh, that's been a, a thread of most of the summers since then. Um, and so, you know, 
ended up where I thought I was getting away from. Um, but you know, it, it was the fact that that food had such a concrete, uh, everyday, you know, relevance to people's lives that felt like you know it was a, a correction for the extreme kind of feeling of abstraction that I'd gotten in grad school. Um, yeah. 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 I mean, in many ways that you were a perfect person for Thoreau College <laughs> and that you were, you know, doing philosophy, doing intellectual work, writing, reading very seriously, translating things from different languages and doing something highly skilled and practical mm -hmm. at, at a high level. And, and then it was fun to watch you here, I would say, bringing those things closer and closer together, you know, applying philosophy to, to food, but also food to philosophy, mm. right? And, and that, you know, it's, you mentioned we, we met in the context of the Thoreau Society, and it's certainly something that, that I value about those thinkers, Thoreau and Emerson, is, is the way that they are talking about the relationship between the practical and the, and the intellectual, kind of, and, 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 and applying that, especially in Thoreau's case, you know, mm -hmm. really, let's, let's figure out what we're going to eat by... <laughs> By thinking about it and thinking and, and, and applying what you do practically to your to your thinking in a way that that, that enriches your thinking, yeah, yeah. Uh, can you think about um, yeah? So 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 bring us the next step there. So you you came here. Um, this is in the context of of COVID year. You were here in Viroqua during the fall of 2020, um, and uh, you know we, we we created together here. I think a, a little a bubble a a. a Kind of a, a felt like a place of sanctuary. I think mm -hmm. for a lot of us, a lot of the students we had, um, we had Moriel and uh, Brandon on on the podcast a, a couple weeks ago, yeah. um, and and they were students here during that same time. Um, and food is a really important part of that, um, and, and uh, you were part of that. What what is uh, can you think about the, the the role of cooking and food and thinking about food in a in a in an educational context? What is what does that bring into it? Yeah, um, I mean, I think maybe one way of approaching this is just kind of thinking about what the uh, com coming into the program at all, right? So, I mean, I had um, been so involved in again just the the nitty gritty of the mechanics of um, cooking and learning to cook that uh, I'd wanted to reflect on. Um, on what I'd been doing for a couple of years, but the restaurant industry is, it's grueling. Right. And so, um, I hadn't really had the time energy to, to do that. And so when COVID hit, I was, uh, unemployed, right. The restaurant that I was working at at the time, uh, shut down, um, and was not going to be open for the foreseeable future. So it kind of felt like, you know, that was the time, when I could maybe sit down and try writing my dissertation again. So that summer leading up to coming to Viroqua or coming to Thoreau, um, I, I started writing, you know, some of the, the first chapter or two um, of the dissertation and then um, remembered some of the conversations that you and I had had between meeting um, in Concord and, um, and that point and realized that it might be nice to have a place where I could, you know, not be too far on either end of the spectrum, right? Mm -hmm. Either I'd been in academia just doing kind of an abstract thing or just in a restaurant just doing the practical thing. And so being here felt like a, a really great uh, opportunity to do a little bit of both, um, uh, right? Use, use, the educational part of uh, what was happening here to, you know, 
not only you know, think for myself, right, but basically use, use teaching and conversations with students as a way of clarifying some of the ideas mm -hmm. that I had been thinking um, and, you know, uh, see, see the, the practical application of um, the skills and ideas that had been coming up in that summer leading up. Um, and, and so, yeah, that, that fall was a really, you know, maybe this is something that we want to come back to later, but it's a really unique experience um, in that uh, being able to, I, you know, I, I had been teaching for six years at that point um, in, in a university, large university setting, um, and had never really felt like I had the opportunity to get very close to students. Um, and, you know, it was just basically show up and talk for an hour and a half, and then I wouldn't see them. And it occurred to me that, like, there is so much of, you know, so many of the ideas that we talk about in philosophy make much more sense and have, you know, they, they stick whenever they are encountered in living contexts, mm -hmm. right? Um, and so one thing that was incredibly special about this place was that, um, you know, uh, I think I had a few f like formal classroom engagements with the students outside of just sitting in on, on your class and some of the other classes. <laughs> right. You, you had us read Husserl and Heidegger, yes. if I remember. And certainly I, I learned a lot more about the, those than, than I ever knew before. So, but that, those, you know, that's the kind of stuff you were bringing. That was awesome. That, and so we, we had those like kind of formal classroom discussions, but I, but most, it felt like most of the opportunities that I had to teach and to engage in, in learning with students was like when they came in to do the afternoon cooking sessions, right? So we'd had this work period after um, after the midday break um, when some students would come to me and in the kitchen and prep food for the coming days and preserve some stuff and work on some more long-term projects. Um, and then there were plenty of evenings when I went to the students' houses and we cooked and ate together. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, when... And we talked about a lot of stuff during those those times, right? A lot of it was practical, like here's how to hold a knife and here's why this preservation technique works for this thing, but not that thing. Um, but also, you know, as we're talking, um, you know, we're, we're having dialogue and ideas just kind of organically began to emerge from the conversations we were having. Felt much more, yeah, Socratic, um, much more uh, organic than sitting some students down in a classroom and saying, Socrates said this, right? And it's just <laughs> this complete abstract, um, un unrelated to everybody's everyday life. Um, and so, you know, things, I think, stick with you much more deeply when they come up in a living context than they do in a lecture hall. Um, and so, you know, I was talking to Laura and, and Mari and Brandon recently. Um, and there are, there are these, you know, small snippets of ideas that, uh, you know, maybe we could have got into them in some sense more deeply if we spent an hour talking about this one passage in a book, but they um, are like woven into the, the fabric of their everyday life, things that they're doing every day. 
um, in, a, in a way that is much more um, getting into their mental ecology in a much deeper way, I think, than, um, than, than in a classroom setting. I don't know if that answers your question. But <laughs> no, that's, a, yeah, that's great. I mean, what's striking from what you, what you said there, I mean, when I, um, I talk to people who've done graduate school um, and, and, you know, there's a lot of like critiques about that and, and regrets about how much time and cost it might take. But, <laughs> but also that when people remember positive things, a lot of times what comes up are the informal relationships they have with professors and with their, their peers, right. right? And that'll happen sometimes in the context of the professor's home around mm -hmm. meals and, and things like that or, or at conferences, but, but informal settings often around food. Um, and I think what's cool about what you did here, and in some sense what a microcollege is able to do in general with scope and scale, um, is to create that environment for people who are not in graduate school as, as just as, as, a, as a primary form of, of, of uh, higher education. Right. Yeah, and you know these the conversations that happen uh, with um, colleagues and professors are around the dinner table. I mean, one thing that felt so interesting and, and um, fulfilling about the the kind of thinking and research and writing that I was doing here is that you know it's one thing to have ideas emerge around the dinner table over you know the nature of the soul and and all of this stuff. It's it's something very different to you know be thinking about um, you know thinking deeply about food while you're eating and, and making <laughs> food you know and if that's your subject matter then then you know, it's like every time you pick up a, a knife you're thinking about the um, you know the the, the significance of, of of cutting into a, a body or something yeah. right and and so the resonances are you know there in that way where the informal conversation gives rise to meaningful experiences but it's also tied into you know what you're actually doing at that moment which is really special yeah it's we are when when this airs and people first hear this or have the opportunity to hear it um we'll be here in the fall of 2023 and um digging into our new fall semester with a with a block you know beginning in a month or so really focused on Homemaking, especially on food harvest season here here in the northern hemisphere, um, and uh, you know, kind of curating the the readings and stuff for that. And you know, Thoreau's chapter in Walden about eating, about mm -hmm. food, is is higher laws, right. right? He goes to the most you know high kind of philosophical and ethical con considerations in the context of of should we eat meat or mm -hmm. you know what you know what are what what is the simplest diet. <laughs> one could or should eat and, and what is the relationship to to thinking and to the moral life mm -hmm. right and that that comes right out of that highly the most practical of things what should we eat or not eat and how should we how should we do it right yeah i mean it's like i uh, think of this sometimes in in the context of going back to like rereading i'm, I'm working on a, a syllabus for for this fall for the class that i'm doing and going back and reading a lot of the socratic dialogues right um and uh, you know the the reason why they have such staying power is because they're you know out in the marketplace and you know sees somebody there who is um, you know has is is doing some kind of work right or mm -hmm. you know there, there's not a it's not a dialogue about shoemaking right but the, this he's always referencing the shoemakers or the up. ship makers the horse trainers mm -hmm. all that yeah um, right and and so uh, it's like this this like it, that that's that's in many ways where philosophy begins which is like 
looking at the world around you and and working your way or noticing that like the seed of these really uh, seemingly abstract otherworldly concepts right are there the seeds are in in the soil of everyday life um, and yeah and again and and food is food is exceptional among all of these uh, everyday experiences I think because you know uh, it's it's one thing to talk about the shoemaker when you know most of us aren't making our own shoes right but everybody has to eat multiple times a day right and so there are um, I, I think uh, there's opportunities to think about the significance of food and eating and cooking and what it means to bring another body into your own body. Um, we have we have an unlimited, uh, you know, as as long as we're living, right? Um, an unlimited opportunity to to think about these things, and that I think sometimes means that they're the 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 first. It's the first place that we we tend to overlook those things um, because it's such an everyday experience that that everybody has. Yeah. Yeah. And so your your work, uh, the work that you, you were sharing with us in progress here at several points throughout your semester here and, and the bits and pieces of uh, I've seen it along the way. I haven't had a chance yet to read your dissertation, um, but uh, you know, it was striking that you were, you were bringing in, of course, philosophers and your own practical experience, but you also were bringing in a lot of storytelling, a lot of mm-hmm. the a lot of Greek myths and you know, that the the. Um, you know, the mythology around um, around eating and around hosts and guests and hospitality and things like that. Mm-hmm. So, that what, what do what do you, you know those stories, mythology? What does that bring into this 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 dynamic? Well, okay. Um, so the, the best way to to get to this, um, I. You know, in in philosophy in particular, right? You know, we tend to, in some way, kind of always make our way back to the Greeks um, in a, in a lot of ways. Um, you know, particularly in the thing that we call the canon, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and when uh, it's it, it feels like one thing to go back and look at the the logical arguments and you know the way that dialectic works and understand you know the history of philosophy as a you know footnote to plato or however you want to read it um and it felt like you know i i could do that and there's there's a lot of there there's so much good material out there on um the the philosophy the the relation between how we think now and the you know sort of um conceptual apparatus and uh um logical structure of, of the arguments um, that I, I felt like I would never be able to make a dent in it. Um, and so I, I started thinking about the way that, you know, those are those arguments and those, um, yeah, the, the sort of logical, rational structures that emerged in that time are all couched in a set of mythologies that are, you know, the, the, um, the frame for what we think is the star of the show, right? The logical arguments. Um, and so what I wanted to do and why, why I come back and, and many points in the dissertation to um, mythology is because you know, I think that there are um, a lot of, there's 
there is a lot of uh, sort of baseline assumptions and conditions for thought that emerge from a certain telling of the mythologies, uh, right? So Plato is is awash in a whole series of stories that are being told that are, yeah, again, creating the conditions for how the logic emerges, right? Stories within stories within stories sometimes, yeah. And and so I I wanted to to go back and, and look at some of the myths and uh, you know read them in a slightly different way in order to see if there is maybe another trajectory of thought that takes off from that same kind of um, you know sea of of stories right um, that might give a different context to. Um, you know the, the logical structures that we've been working with for the last two thousand years. So in the dissertation, particularly um, focus on um, you know maybe maybe two sets of of stories. The the first is um, this is later Roman stuff, but it's drawing on the Greek myths um, in Ovid's Metamorphoses, mm-hmm. um, which you know, fits very well with Thoreau College. Um, uh, the, the themes that emerge here um, and some of the stories you know, in Ovid's Metamorphoses that there are cr- like I think really crucial moments in that story um, that revolve around food, right? So you get the story of Lycaon at the beginning um, and the destruction of the world because of improper food and hospitality. Then directly in the middle, you get the story of Baucus and Philemon, and they're, you know, uh, a retelling of the destruction of the world myth, um, you know, again, halfway through the book, and it plays out in a very different way because of the way that they're hospitable and the way that they they feed Zeus and Hermes. Um, and then at the very end, uh, there is the, the speech of Pythagoras um, that really gives kind of an overview of the, the ideas that have been bubbling throughout the whole of the story, and you get yeah, sort of a um, a explicit drawing out of the the ideas that had been told in, in mythical ways up until that point. So there's a couple yeah going going over those stories a couple times. They keep bubbling up throughout the um, the dissertation, and then the other one that really felt like, and this this is something that I, I hadn't really thought about until I got here and, you know, um, came across the story and had some great conversations with faculty here about the the, the mythology of um, Persephone and, and mm-hmm. Demeter. Um, you know, it was, it was harvest time when I was here and thinking about the changing of the seasons and what are, you know, we, we were already talking about the, the nature of the changing of the seasons and um, so that myth in particular seemed to actually fit in many ways with uh, a, as a, a really great overarching frame for the argument that I was laying out in the dissertation because of the proximity of um, food and um, metamorphosis and change and, uh, and in particular plant life uh, to this whole story. And so that ended up being the introduction and uh, Persephone comes up time and time again throughout the dissertation Um, because, uh, you know, if you, 
I think the, the last thing that I'd say about this is is just that like the some of the ideas that come up relatively early in the dissertation are um, you know it's it's tied very deeply to the 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 canon of of Western philosophy, um, but it's also kind of way far out, right? The the first chapter is like imagine a world where you know what if the first thing that we thought whenever we're trying to think about the world is uh, a giant like organism that is eating itself, right? Um, okay. Autotrophy, right? Yeah, and and uh, and so I I thought that putting the Persephone myth myth um, and framing that in a particular way at the beginning is a way of kind of um, yeah it's the you know thing that you get at the beginning of of the uh, um, um, some some of the myths right like oh, oh muse let, like tell me your story so you start off with this myth and it gets you uh, primed right it mm-hmm. sets your sets up your brain um, by telling a story in a way that you know in particular. You know, some of the more recent philosophy, German philosophy in the 19th century in particular, is like we're going to start with a indubitable principle and you know deduct, deduce everything from there. Um, it seemed like a, a better way of getting into these some of I, some of these ideas by telling a story, setting a vibe, of setting like a, a um, setting the table, as it were, uh, setting the table, right? <laughs> and then from there, it's a, a it's a lot easier. Um, you know, if you're if you're just working within a mythological framework, um, to draw out some of the more concrete, rational principles. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I really appreciated that, and I think it fits into, as you say, with with you know what we're doing here at Thoreau College. Um, I think when people you know we step back and think about, we do several different types of programs here with with different sort of groups of people, but the fundamental curriculum is always the same, and that is the seasons, mm-hmm. right? And mm-hmm. the, the agricultural year, and, uh, and and once you start to to, to meditate on that, and, and you start to find stories like that, the Demeter and Persephone mm-hmm. uh, kind of myth, and 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 they are are often also you can think of it through the lens of the plant world and the cycle of the plant world here, especially in the temperate climates where we have this cycle of, of growth and, and transformation and death and fruiting and going to seed, right? There's that's so much of the, of our mythological and, and cultural heritage comes out of that and including the festivals, which, which then, you know, even, you know, they become the Christian festivals and, and, the, and the, you know, Celtic and Germanic and, and uh, Greco-Roman festivals, different ones in the native American world, but there, there really are, you know, they're, they're connected to that, to that cycle and right. keying into those, those engaging practically with harvesting, planting, you know, um, if you start to notice that, you start to see it in, in our just everyday American traditions. Mm-hmm. Jack-o'-lanterns, Christmas trees, <laughs> Easter right. lilies. You know, there, there are plants and, and parts of the plant cycle that are associated with our holidays as well. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah, and, and it's, I, I don't know, it's like the uh, kind of, uh, when I was working with, with these students here, um, there was, you know, a familiarity with a lot of these stories, but you know, some of some of the reticence to get into these stories is that much of the way that we've told them for, especially passing through the sort of uh, Christian framework, mm-hmm. um, are, um, yeah, traumatic and violent and can be very misogynistic, and and so. 
uh, you know, when I was talking to some of these these students who are a very um, tuned into questions of, of social justice and inclusion, and we're talking about Persephone in particular, right? There's, you know, it's a, it's a story of an abducted child, mm-hmm. and and there's there's a lot of violence involved, and so um, it felt really important to uh, revisit contemporary retellings of those myths and to mm-hmm. think about, you know, what's really at work in those myths um, that, uh, you know, isn't just reductive to, or d- is it c- can't just be dismissed as a, you know, a patriarchal, um, you know, violent, um, xenophobic, right? I mean, th- those things are definitely there, but, you know, if you, if you revisit the stories and retell them in a living context, then... Um, you can draw out different aspects of them and see see how you know maybe there 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 are parts of them that can still be uh, have living relevance for us today in the 21st century. Yeah, I, I, one of the things I see students experience here, especially from their from other climates, is you know if they're here for the fall, especially uh, in the spring, it's a different cycle. Is is the trauma of winter. Mm-hmm. Right, you have, you go from you know things things die kind of all of a sudden and uh, or you know or gradually and and there there's there's a loss there and that there's a there's a sadness you know in that time of the year when that's happening and a lot of these festivals are about recognizing that and and, and acknowledging that in different ways and then kindling something to come a, a seed for for the future in a way and that's why myth has that function it's it's not it's not to, it is actually to to allow us to work with the traumas that are existing in our world. Uh, also human society, but even right there in the natural order. Right. Yeah. yeah. And, and being, you know, at, at Thoreau College where, you know, there's um, the Waldorf schools here that are working. So bit, I, I came in with a, a knowledge of, of mythology. I mean, I've been thinking about myths for a long time and thinking particularly in that Greek tradition for a long time. Um, but seeing a, uh, a, a town and a community here that has so much of that knowledge, and you know, um, you know, particularly the, the the Waldorf School, the way that it <laughs> builds mythology into the the curriculum, um, it felt like it was I was I was able to revisit a lot of them in um, in a new way, and and so it, it really like uh, uh, kicked off a, a new period of thinking about these these myths. Um, and in a way that like I looked around and, and all of a sudden everybody around me, all the other faculty and the students who had grown up in these schools who were here um, were already familiar with them. Right. So it didn't have to lay all the grain groundwork. We could just kind of work with this material. And, and that was that was really special. <laughs> I'm chuckling because I, I was saying that I have a, um, one of my children. Um, my daughter, who just finished fifth grade, um, and fifth grade is when they study the Greeks mm-hmm. in, in the Waldorf School, um, and and she at the very end, the last day of school, kind of as the somehow connected with the eighth graders, the graduating from school, her fifth grade class performed a little play. Mm-hmm. It was they do a big play, but this this was like a like a you know just a five six minute thing at the end of you know as part of the assembly at the end of school, and it was the myth of, of Prometheus. <laughs> Okay, <laughs> and my my daughter got to play the eagle, which eats Prince's liver. Amazing, <laughs> and so like, who knows what seeds that's planting for for a group of fifth graders to enact that mm-hmm. um, and to think about that and you know where that will come back you know down you know like next time they encounter that myth they will they'll have have a visceral experience. Right. Yeah. Um, I mean, and just thinking of the Prometheus, you know, there's 
there's a, a, um, a writing project in my mind for the future. You know, finally got some time this fall to do some new work, right? I finished my dissertation last year and I'm going to be, um, you know, have some time to write what's coming next soon. Um, and so one of the things bouncing around my head is the Prometheus story. Um, because, I mean, one thing that really became apparent to me when I was here and has been, um, you know, uh, been coming up time and again, time and time again since then is that like so many of these myths, um, have really deep connections to, you know, not only life in general, and we can still draw resources from them, but specifically, you know, have to do with with food and cooking, mm-hmm. right? Um, and and I think that you know we miss a lot of that in our contemporary world, be, you know, um, or like the, yeah, the resonances that it has to do with food because so much of our food is that we is packaged it's pre-processed um it's not something that we really have to to work for you know some people never um have to because of the way that the food system is set up even do any cooking themselves right or engage with flame and the significance of the coming of of fire right and Mm -hmm. so like the prometheus story it's it's interesting to you know revisit a lot of these myths in the context of doing philosophy of food because I think you know not only does it tell us things about who we are today, but also like you know lights up a bunch of connections in our understanding of the context in which they were told, um, and makes them less of this kind of um, you know abstract some guy on top of the mountain getting his liver <laughs> poked out, right? Um, and and thinking about right, the the kind of the the importance and the the heroism of of this character for um, you know, uh, uh, creating a condition that that really changes us, right? It's not just that we get fire. Sure, we get fire, and that changes things. But like, you know, really think about what it means to be able to cook now, right? right. It's the birth of cookery, mm-hmm. you know, of, of of cooking changes everything, yeah. right? Um, and so, I, you know, it's it's interesting to go back, you know, whether you're interested in the the myths or or not, to go go back and look at them in the light of their their relation to this very everyday project of making and producing and and cooking and consuming and sharing food um because that's that is one activity that is um at least in in you know uh it's possible right that that we're we're doing the same thing that the Greeks were doing right um growing food uh, harvesting it, cooking it, sharing it with other people. So there's this kind of cross-cultural, cross, you know, of course we all eat in different ways, right? And we have different stories about this, but um, everybody eats and uh, we can we can see the significance of these because, you know, it's not like, you know, there there's some things when you go back and read the Greeks that like, um, you know, they really don't have much significance anymore because, we have, you know, modern medicine, or we have, you know, whatever new technologies, mm-hmm. the the stories about the moon or whatever. It's hard to connect with it, right? But the food way into these myths is like, at, we're we're still doing it. It's um, it, it's cross time and space, right? Yeah, I mean, you know, in, in a culture where where many people have have 
have not grown up in a religious context or you know have, have changed religions or they've had a lot of autonomy in like shaping themselves mm-hmm. I mean food remains a bearer of culture mm-hmm. in a unique way right people's their ethnic cuisine or their household their family or even their you know self-definition if the person decides to, to become a vegan or to leave being veganism or whatever like that that's 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 an important like right of transition and of cultural you know com- awakening for for many people that that remains pertinent because you have to you have to decide what you eat one way or another one way or another yeah it's <laughs> a, and and it's and it's like it's a question that you know interestingly you can return to every time you sit down at a table right it's a it's one of these living questions of what we should eat and how we should eat because we have to deal with it so much it's never like you know um, even even people who are are vegan, right, and have a very or relatively clear picture of what to eat, how to eat it, when to eat it. Like um, there is, there's always the opportunity to answer that question in another way. And um, you know, there, there, are, it's, it's never a closed question, right? Um, how we should act, it's or how how we should engage with this. It's, um, it is part of the the um, developing and, and changing story of our lives and it's a, a really powerful place to revisit our definitions of ourselves and how we relate to the people around us in the worlds yeah yeah so when you after your time here um i can see that it was really you, you were gestating the, the 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 your eventual dissertation in a really clear ways so you've been talking about here you went back and you did some some more restaurant cooking um including a a residency recently in detroit mm-hmm. um which you, you might talk about but one of the things you know you also have been working on some ideas of how to how to build a micro college initiative potentially around really around food and cooking specifically and and i know that that there's been some you talk about that the idea and and you have done some prototyping i think about that yeah i so um you know once again, very similarly to you know this this period between 2018 and 2020, um, I've been yeah working in in restaurants for the last couple of years. Um, or yeah, came back um, from the the most intense period of of lockdown, and um, I had been working at a restaurant, uh, fittingly called Gaia, um, for <laughs> the last two years. Um, yeah. Uh, Stephanie's grandma, um, <laughs> uh, or yeah, great great grandmother, right? Um, and uh, so doing that, and then I've also been teaching at DePaul, um, or was t- teaching at DePaul for the last year and a half on agricultural history. Um, and uh, so I, it's been it's been a very busy couple of years, and so um, you know some some of this has been on the back burner, um, but I have a little bit more space and time to to revisit it. Um, but yeah, I I have a have an idea of how a micro college would work, mostly because of the experience that I had here at Thoreau. Right, I, I looked around and saw um, the way that the the economics of this school could work and were working and um, how labor and education fit together in a way that could, um, you know, point towards a, uh, a self-sustaining institution that brings together right, this very practical and always necessary skill of make, uh, producing, processing, and consuming food, right? Mm-hmm. So agriculture, cooking, and um, hospitality, excuse me, um, 
which are you know, the three pillars of, of the dissertation as well, right? Looking at these three points. Um, and uh, yeah, have, have been kicking around the idea, letting it kind of uh, uh, ferment for the last couple of years. Um, a, a school that would be based around, um, you know, a uh, and starting to make some strides toward it with uh, the connections that I've been making for the last couple of years. Um, that would involve uh, a sort of farm branch, right, where mm-hmm. we're growing food and students are learning how to um, uh, engage with the land and engage with soil, um, and then a, a branch that makes the food and sells it, and then some some part of the track that would be uh, uh, students learning how to um, enact hospitality, right, and think... And and it and in a way that like would give them an education, right? Reflection on all of these steps of the food process, um, or that yeah, the the provisioning process, mm-hmm. um, while at the same time doing something that doing some kind of activity that is viable in a market economy, right? Mm-hmm. And it, it's it's really like you know the the. It seems like one of the the issues um, in thinking of how to get a, a college or a university off the ground these days is that large universities and um, you know even you know, all all levels of the higher education you know in some ways except for the micro college movement right are um, so uh, have been so deeply altered by the the fact that they are embedded in a market economy um and so yeah how do you create a community of learners that is uh you know focused on on learning that doesn't break the bank for students right mm-hmm. like one of the, the amazing things about thoreau is uh the the way that the, how accessible it is right um and um and a lot of that comes from the community connections that that you and others here have been, um, you know, uh, drawing on and um, nurturing for you know your whole life and and the life of, of others in the school, um, but it also you know brings in the uh, the import or, uh, relies on you know with the the garden for example right, um, doing doing work that helps sort of in, in some sense like subsidize the education mm-hmm. so that um, you know students aren't interacting with it just as a commodity right I mean large universities come in pay your money you know and stop serving ice cream yeah 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 exactly <laughs> crank crank out the diploma or something um, and and it seems like this what what you're doing here and what some of these other sort of uh, micro colleges that are um, you know, Centering or or incorporating labor into the the education process are trying to make a sense of trying to make sense of how to not make it just a commodity, but something that you are actively involved in, right? Part of right. your your living labor, right? What <laughs> um, was striking I me mean, as your story and very 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 common story: person goes to college, and how do they pay to go to college? They work in 
a restaurant. Yeah. You work in, in the food service industry, but it's in a totally another place, a place that they, they you know, it's kind of you know, sometimes a drag. It's a competing with their schedule and time. It's maybe, you know, it's maybe like fast food or, or, mm-hmm. or you know, a place where the food is, is, is bad or like is something that is at least they're totally disconnected from in some mm-hmm. way. Um, and of course, they're also eating, and a lot of times eating the same sort of stuff, whether it's in a cafeteria or off campus. Um, and then they go back and try to think about things, mm-hmm. right, separately. And right. certainly, an impulse of of of, uh, of this sort of holistic education that that Thoreau College is a part of is, you know, can we put those pieces back together in a in a in a, in a thoughtful, aesthetically rich, intellectually kind of coherent way? Um, work, food, thought, culture. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I uh, one of the one of the, the nicest things about thinking about food, right, and possibly building a community of learners around food and thinking about food is that, like, I, I sometimes I think about, like, the way that in, in the Western canon um, and, you know, Western philosophy in particular, right, food is the thing, you know, this is something that comes up in the dissertation um, a lot, right? Uh, food is the thing that is done by... Um, I mean, it's it's a it's it, it, thought is a thought is a, a leisure activity. Mm-hmm. It requires you know the presence of some class of people who are doing that work so that we can think about the real stuff or something. Um, and uh, and you know, in in um, if you if you don't want to be an exploitative class that is you know just sort of um, relying on on the sweat and tears of, of somebody else, right? Um, then you, you've got it. You always have to do food first, right? Um, and it is, it's special, I think, to be thinking about food because, you know, it, it's like, I, I can barely think about, I can barely get beyond what I'm going to eat that day, right? Um, much less like go on to, think sort of uh, quote-unquote higher order questions. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you are thinking about food and building an education around food, um, the, uh, in many ways the way that you're doing it here, then you, know, you, get, you get to kind of stick around that, that starting point and realize that there's actually a, a, a rich... Um, some, there, there's a, a, a rich ground to be drawing up from right there. You don't have to go away from the kitchen there's there's plenty to think about when you're working in the field and working in okay. uh, uh in a kitchen and so you know there's a, a much smaller loop right where you're um yeah not not just eating and then going out and then coming back and eating and then going out but you're thinking all all close to the the very activity that you have to return to all the time yeah yeah recently i went and reread um like the classic, I mean, maybe along with Walden, um, of the of the Back to the Land movement, Helen and Scott Nearing's uh, "Living the Good Life." Are you familiar with this I'm text? Not, no. Oh, you should read it. It's, okay. um, but anyway, th- this was a, a couple, Helen and Scott Nearing, who, um, in the depths of the Depression, and um, um, Scott Nearing had been a, a well-known kind of radical professor, like you know, labor organizer, thinker about you know. Um, reorganization of the economy in various radical ways in that era when that was going on <laughs> a lot. Right. Yeah. Um, but you know, hit hit with the depression. He was kind of blacklisted out of the university, and so mm-hmm. he and, and his wife uh, Helen, who was a high level uh, musician, 
um, they decided they were going to go to buy farm in Vermont mm-hmm. and figure out how to make a, a living there, do that. And, um, and then out of this came this book, Living the Good Life, which was, you know, another generation or so later when in the late 60s and 70s people were going back to the land and a right. lot of people came here to Oroqua. This was the book that was sitting on their shelf because it. it described uh, a lot of the motivation and the idea for this, the vision of it, but also... Um, really practically how they did it. And they had a lot of, you know, they have a lot of like very like idiosyncratic ideas. They only will build a stone and you know, things that, that I'm not sure how many people actually applied, but they mm-hmm. explained really seriously why they, they chose to do those things. Um, but um, th- th- I think the other thing that a lot of people remember from it and it sticks out is their vision of the, of the schedule of the day. Mm-hmm. So they, mm-hmm. they, their, their vision of the day, they wanted to create a time when there was they, four hours a day, every day, whoever was staying with them was devoted to what they called bread labor. Okay. Right. And the uh, and then another four hours or another part of the day, which was devoted to um, to to cash crops, mm-hmm. right? And which in their case was maple syrup. Okay. Um, but so they had some need to bring in some money, but the idea was that that was um, you know was was going to be minimized as much as possible by raising as much of their own food. And so they, they the structure time they're going to do some they're going to raise their food and you know and also build their buildings in this part of the day. They're going to raise a little money and then they would have all the rest of the time to to do art or to write or to engage in politics or whatever it was. Um, uh, what's striking, of course, is that they're remembered for <laughs> the parts about how to raise food, <laughs> right? And it is uh, the, what they did during that, that bread labor time actually was, was, was their, their legacy and their impact on the world. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, you know, that, that I, I will, I'm, I'm remembering now that there is one, one selection from this book that I, that's in, in a reader that I used to teach in the environmental department um, that uh, is specifically a, a, one of the chapters must be about, about food, right? Yeah. Um, and what's really great uh, about books like that and then even a lot of like cookbooks, right, um, is that they're you know, there are all these very, um, very, I was reading, also looking at Gene Logston's book, um, All, all Flesh is Grass sure. last night uh, at the, in the library. And um, there, there is a whole, you know, genre of writing out there that um, is, you know, just practical reflect or like, you know, explanations of, of what's happening, but like woven into that is, Reflection, uh, reflection comes out of it, right? Um, right? So as you're describing these things, more general principles start to emerge out of them, um, and uh, and so you know it's it's not as if I mean, yeah. In some sense, you can go off and, and do art and um, you know thought and music um, away from that, but like even in those those moments uh, where you're thinking about the very practical. Again, just go back to that higher laws thing, right? The reflection right. on that um, g- generates thought that is um, at least as important and maybe more important. I mean, it gives you the, the highest. It gives you the highest laws, right? Um, uh, just just in the in the margins between the description of like how to how to butcher a chicken or you know how to how to prepare food or something. Right, and, and, and Helen has got to talk about making gravel. <laughs> <laughs> right, you know, and and it becomes philosophical, right? And and uh, yeah, that's, uh, Emerson says that one of my favorite quotes that basically we need, we need practical experiences, real to kind of push up against the the, the the physical world through our through our labor, in order to give bones to our thought, mm-hmm. right? With without without those that 
that type of experience, you know, we, we don't have substantiality to our thinking, mm-hmm. right? And if you look at our language, it's filled with these very, like, concrete metaphorical images that are drawn um, from tools, from, from natural experiences, you know, from sports sometimes, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, so archaic kind of crafts, right, mm-hmm. which we encounter here through the folk school, um, are filled with words that then show up elsewhere in the language, right? We, we recently uh, went in and uh, spent an afternoon with a, with a woman who is training oxen, right? Mm-hmm. So we talked about yokes and oxbows and, you know, how many other places do the language associated with a totally archaic, like a, a form of labor that most people have no concept of are actually still in our language in lots of ways. Yeah, and, uh, you know, the, the one one of these examples that sticks out the most to me that um, you know, came up in or occurred to me in, in the writing of the dis- dissertation and it seems like you know one of those blind spots where you're like how could I have missed this for so long right um, is uh, the amount of language that we have to describe knowledge and knowing um, is, are are originally metaphors driv- uh, driv- derived from uh, um, things having to do with taste and, and eating, right? So <laughs> sapere, right? It's like uh, can can trace this back to um, having the the taste of things, right? No- knowledge, in some sense, it is just like having a sense of the, the 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 essence of a thing, and we get at that most clearly through our our taste of it, right? And then right. of course we just have it like goes back to Genesis, right? The, yeah. the, the fruit, the fruit of knowledge, the tree of knowledge. Exactly. Yeah. So it's. I mean, it's. It's all already there. It's just a matter of of taking taking off the blinders or stepping back a minute to see how so much of the language that we already use or already use um, is derived from this very practical, down to earth, everyday experience um, of of yeah, working on the land and and eating food. Yeah, so we're coming up towards the end of our, our mm-hmm. hour here, and I think one thing I'd love to maybe a, a concluding question is: so there's the the provisioning, the preparation, you know, the the, the kind of the eating of the food. The other piece is is hospitality, mm-hmm. right? So thinking about this in the context very concretely of a of a micro college or, or an educational program, talk about hospitality, and and that 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 then connects with the other with 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 the public. You know, how, what what other layer does that add to to this picture? Um, so hospitality is, um, you know, in, it's a, a difficult term to get at in today's world because it's so tied to the hospitality industry. Mm-hmm. Um, it's so tied to, um, you know, my, my partner was asking me about this uh, last night. We were reading through a section in Emanuele Cochia's book and um, you know, this idea that he has that um, when we eat, we become, you know, uh, we host life in our bodies or mm-hmm. something, right? Um, and and the question was, I thought, you know, I thought hospitality had to do with, you know, uh, a kind of um, welcoming in, invitation into um into one one's home or one's business or something, and uh, it's it is it has it has become that, and it's become something that has to do with uh, particularly a, a market exchange, right? Um, right? You can come into this, and we will feed you if you can pay, or if you have the right clothes on, or whatever, right? 
Um, but historically, the word can you can trace it back to a whole nest of concepts that have to do with, you know, hospes and hostess um, mean uh, at once the guest, the host, the friend, the enemy. Um, and so kind of in a more general sense, it just has to do with the encounter with the other. Um, and, uh, and, you know, uh, on, on Derrida's reading has to do with the encounter with the radically other, right? Mm-hmm. So not just the encounter with, you know, the, the person that can pay for their entrance into our eating establishment or something, but, um, you know, Derrida makes this point or makes this argument that, like, radical hospitality, pure hospitality um, is, is something that, like, doesn't ask details of the other, right? Refers us back to the Greek tradition where, when someone comes to your home and asks for food and a, a place to stay, it is, uh, you know, uncouth to ask who they are or where they're from until you've given them a bath and given them a meal, right? <laughs> Much less their credit card. Yeah. Right? <laughs> so, like, th- allowing, right, um, hospitality in, in a sort of deep, robust sense means... Um, Encountering the other and allowing them to be preserved in their otherness, right? Yeah. Without having to incorporate them or make them follow your your rules, right? So we can from here think about um, you know questions of of migration and immigration and refugees, yeah. where uh, you know hospitality is like not just you can come into our country if you can speak our language or if you you know salute the flag or something but this is the this is somebody who you know needs help or um is is approaching us from uh you know a perspective or a, a position of vulnerability and it's not not up to us to try to make sense of them or to translate them into our own culture um but to um you know that is to, to say to change them right but to in some sense, put ourselves in a position of um, you know, not necessarily subordination, but um, uh, in, in a relation to them that, um, yeah, again, just allows them to persist persist in, in their own, own otherness. And I think that this is a, it's a concept that um, we could we could learn a lot from today um, when you know uh, there, there is so much hom- homogenization of, of culture in a global market economy right um, where the, the common language is is money right um, uh, without yeah 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 another I, you know concept another uh, way of being living in the world that has been kind of violated by commerce is you know service mm-hmm. the service industry. Right in in, in, the, in the same way, and that that's I think what you're part of what you're describing, right? To be to really be of service, and uh, you know to be a you know, servant leader, whatever that is. Like you're 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 you know, that's that is a, a mode of of you know like Christ washing people's feet, mm-hmm. that sort of thing. Um, is is now it's a commercial interaction, which feels very different in a way. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Um, yeah, I mean the you know the the last sort of point of reference here for me is uh, you know the 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 great thinker of hospitality is 
uh, in the 20th century is Emmanuel Levinas. Um, and Levinas uh, you know, and Derrida both go so far, and this is where I think it all comes back to philosophy, right, in some sense. Um, they, they make this argument that uh, um, philosophy is first and foremost ethics, um, and uh, because in, in some sense we have to make value judgments about the world before we can even start thinking rationally or logically, right? So the the, the origin of philosophy, this really high order um, kind of otherworldly reflection is, is the practical engagement that we have with others. Um, and then they go on to make the claim that ethics is fundamentally hospitality. And so, you know, if you follow that chain through, right, thinking hospitality and thinking the encounter with the other and the open question of how we engage, the ongoing uh, question of how we engage with the other, that uh, we can make, make the case that philosophy as such, thought as such, is this project of, of uh, trying to in, embody and um, enact hospitality and and I, I don't know. I think that that's a, a great line because it fits very nicely with the argument that I'm making. But <laughs> it also, you know, shows the, the the living significance of what we call philosophy. It's just learning how to be in a world with people who are radically different than us. Yeah, it's 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 such a powerful answer to that basic philosophical question of how shall we live, mm-hmm. right? And that's in the core of a program like Thoreau College or or you know a, you know a liberal education in general is is. If it's going to be practical, it's going to answer that, address that question. It's going to engage that question. Mm-hmm. So, well, Evan, thank you so much yeah, for for, for sharing that with us. Um, really, look look forward to following what what you, where you go with this. These are powerful ideas. Thank, thank you, you for coming to visit. Well, thanks for having me. All right.